broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how are you doing? Doing all right. We got a great show this week, uh, giving you a pheasant forecast for uh, Minnesota and the surrounding states. We'll talk about what you can expect this weekend and uh, as we get into the pheasant season. We're also going to talk about where the walleye bite is right now and how they're catching them and layout boats for duck hunting. We've got a great show coming up this week. Uh, Jared Wicklin and Tom Carpenter from Pheasants Forever are going to join us. Eric Osberg from Otter Tail Lakes Country will be here. And Joe Henry will give us a report from Lake of the Woods. Dan, who are the sponsors this week? Haybell Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this fall or winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. On X, know where you stand with On X. And Prairie Sportsman, watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for rerun times. We're excited about this weekend. The pheasant opener is finally here again. I don't, I, I mean, I always get excited about the opener because it's, uh, it essentially now everything is, is pretty much game on, right? I can, I can duck hunt in the morning if I want to. We can chase geese around. I can go bow hunting. I can walk uh, for an hour in the afternoon for pheasants or, or whatever the case may be. I love this time of year. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's going to be like uh, early on in the season and what you can expect later on in the different states around the region with Pheasants Forever later in the show. But the good thing is for, for those of us going out this weekend, a lot of beans are off and a lot of corn is coming off right now. And I have a feeling down where we're going to hunt around the Worthington area for the governor's pheasant opener. A lot of crops have been coming off down there. So I'm excited to head out and go down there. And we'll talk more about this with uh, Tom Carpenter later in the show. But that Worthington Wells area down there is a really neat story. And we're going to be filming uh, a segment about it for Prairie Sportsmen to talk about how creating habitat isn't just for pheasant hunters or for deer hunters it's for the wildlife but it's also for clean water and all that public land down there around worthington protects the drinking water for that area down there so uh, a lot of good can come out of creating habitat and it's not just for wildlife that we like to chase around with uh with a shotgun so excited to get down there for the governor's opener uh once again and see some old friends that we you make friends at these events dan and this, sometimes this is the only time you see them is at uh, events like this so it'll be good to to get back there and hang out a little bit um I know we don't watch a lot of TV. It seems like this time of year, you don't get a chance to watch much TV. Uh, I usually turn on Netflix when I go to bed or something like that. Dan, have you watched any Netflix or have you watched anything for a while? I don't remember the last time I've turned on the Netflix. Yeah. I watched YouTube and the wild games, yeah. Vikings games, football games. That's, that's kind of about it for me too. And I've been hearing a lot about this. I've been seeing the memes for the Dahmer show on Netflix more than anything else, I think. Yep. And it's, it's the best one where he's sitting up next to the TV and he's like, here, I'm, look, I'm going to watch make a you, movie. I'm going to make you watch my hunting videos yep. or, <laughs> or whatever. I don't have a lot of desire to watch that show. I don't I, know. I kind of do. I don't know. Like looks creepy, but. The dude's a psychopath, and I think it'd be fascinating to find out why he's such a psychopath. Yeah. If it digs into that, but some of the stuff people were telling me about how they're showing, they're reenacting some of the things that he did to people. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, that's brutal. What I found on Netflix, though, to me, is just as scary 
and it's I think it's called Aftershock. And it's a story about the Mount Everest earthquake in 20, I think 2015, 2014, 2015. And it's, it's people who are climbing the mountain and they brought GoPros or film. I think there was a film crew there just filming. I, I haven't watched the whole thing, but it's like three episodes right now on Netflix. And I'm, I think I'm about halfway through the three episodes, but it's about being on like climbing the mountain. And some of these people go their whole lives saying someday I'm going to climb Mount Everest and they train for it and prepare for it and climb smaller mountains to get there and then finally make the trip and then climb this mountain and they're there for a couple of weeks at the base camp getting ready to climb the mountain and finally it's the day that they're going to climb the mountain all these people and they get up into one of the most treacherous spots and an earthquake hits and next thing you know you're trapped and buried in an avalanche and a lot of people died like it was is a bad deal but uh, there is also a number of survivors who talk about their experience on this show. And I could not, you know, I spent enough time in snow here in Minnesota, thankfully not under, you know, not around avalanches or mountains, but could you imagine getting buried? No, I don't know. In snow, no. especially on that mountain, oh. like, literally the biggest mountain in the world. I'm horrifying. I'm good. I'll stick to the prairie. Horrifying. So it is. Uh, it is a pretty wild footage, wild footage to watch and a lot of footage from, when it happened, uh, it's it's crazy. I think it's uh, aftershock because not only like a lot of these people survived the main earthquake, mm -hmm. right? And they're like, "Wow, oh my gosh, it was terrible, it was brutal, but we made it." They're they're kind of celebrating that they they're alive, that they made it through. And then there's aftershocks. Yeah, the, so, earth, the initial earthquake, whether it's on a mountain or by an ocean, is typically not the worst part. It's that tsunami or avalanche or whatever is going to come and whack you next. Makes you real thankful to live in Minnesota. Yeah, that's. I've said that so many times. Uh, you know, we have to deal with cold weather here and the occasional tornado, but we don't have poisonous, you know, venomous snakes other than the occasional timber rattler and prairie rattler. And we don't have, uh, uh, you know, too, many, too much for spiders that are going to do a lot of damage. But uh, I'm thankful. I'll put up with winter. To, to, that's my trade-off to deal, not have to deal with earthquakes and hurricanes and things like that. So anyway, all right, check it out on Netflix. Coming up, we're going to talk pheasants. We're going to talk layout duck hunting and uh, also uh, walleyes. And now Eric Osberg is finding his walleyes. It's all on the way here on Sporting Journal Radio. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. It's beginning to be that time of year where my productivity level is going to drop significantly because most likely I'm going to be doing a whole lot of hunting between bow hunting, waterfowl hunting, and now that we have the pheasant season open, I'm sure I'm going to take a little bit of time as uh, every chance I get to go out and walk some grass a little bit and see what, what's out there on the landscape. And that's, that's my favorite part about it. Obviously, harvesting pheasants is great, watching the dog work is uh most of the enjoyment but just getting out there and walking into parts of the planet that the majority of a, the the population never steps foot on seeing different types of wildlife just seeing seeing the the wild outdoor landscape is what i enjoy so much about it and it's finally here i'm excited about it and we're going to talk uh about the upcoming pheasant season with some guys from pheasants forever right now jared wickland is going to join us and tom carpenter how you guys doing 
Hey, Very Brett. Good. Great. Thanks for having us on. I'm I'm excited, and I'll tell you what I'm more excited than I was a couple of months than I than I thought I would be a couple of months ago because with how dry it was this spring, I was a little worried about what our numbers were going to look like. Uh, but it sure looks like those birds uh, rebounded and and had a, a pretty decent hatch this year so far. Yeah, I think you know in a lot of the a lot of the travels and the talks I've had with members and some of our staff uh, is that. You know, even though we did have that drought sequence, we had a lot of water early on, uh, and then it dried up at the at the perfect opportune time for for hatching and and, and brood rearing in June and July. Um, when you look at drought conditions as a whole in Minnesota, Iowa, even they're not as pronounced as when you go further west. Um, so sometimes drought can actually be really good in, in more of these eastern locales, I guess, when you get over. Uh, more towards more towards the Mississippi River um, and not so much you know on the west side of the Missouri so um, it's been good big broods and uh, we're hearing great great things from our staff and partners well I tell you what I am excited about is uh, up until last year I think <clears throat> I expected to get my feet wet every time I went pheasant hunting I'd go over my boots all the time so I think there's going to be a lot of thick cover cattails uh, sloughs, things like that, but that people are going to be able to get into and uh, that they haven't been able to get into in a number of years. Yeah, I would think, honestly, I think the late season hunting, you might see a few more hunters out because they don't have to deal with those types of conditions this year, but you're absolutely right. Um, even where I am uh, in, in the east central region of Minnesota, it's incredibly dry. We are getting some rain today, which is great, but uh, that really doesn't, doesn't matter much anymore unless we get a huge, huge, uh, pour of rain and, and maybe some wet snow early on like we did a few years ago. But I think the late season conditions are going to be wonderful for folks. Um, and that's a favorite time of year for a lot of hardcore pheasant hunters. As you know, you know, you do a lot of late season hunting, uh, being able to get into those sloughs and uh, find the, the birds are where they are. They're going to be next. Uh, you're going to put the bedroom next to the kitchen, so to say, and you're going to be focusing on winter habitat next to a food source. It's, it's a pretty simple recipe. I know every year, especially right at the beginning, you'll see some young birds. Do you think that there were more successful hatches later this year, or do you think uh, it was realistically it was more of a normal year as far as uh, brood rearing? I would say normal based on on what I'm seeing. I mean, obviously there's there's going to be a couple hatches where you know a hen hen loses a nest to a predator or something happens. Maybe you're in an area where that did get a little bit of rain, but for the most part. Um, Minnesota and, and basically all the pheasant range, the earlier that we can hatch chicks in the season, the better chance they have survi for survival. They're putting fat on, they're learning, you know, predator avoidance instincts earlier on, um, all those good things. They've got a lot of time to grow up. So I'd say most of the roosters that I'm seeing uh, are completely colored out already, which mm. means we had a really early hatch and we put a lot of, a lot of birds on the landscape earlier in the year, which is, which is good for pheasant populations. Yeah, that is great. And one of the reasons, I mean, I, I always look forward to opener, but I look forward to later season hunting more. I get more excited about hunting later in the year. And a lot of times yep. because it's warm, uh, you know, around opener, usually the temps are a little bit warmer and uh, uh, a lot of crops are up. But I, for around here, I, I think all the beans are pretty much done. There might be a few fields still standing, but for the most part, all the beans are done. And a lot of corn has been coming out uh, quite a bit lately. 
Yep, same on this side of the state. I guess I haven't looked at crop reports to see how far they are, but um, I've been told by staff that most of the areas are are ahead of where they've been the past few years. It's been dry enough. The corn is really is drying down super quick, and uh, that's a that's a uh, benefit to bird hunters when farmers are getting out there and, and getting those crops harvested. So yeah, I think uh, all things considered, it should be a pretty good opener, uh, especially if you can find areas with quality habitat. Um, in some of those uh, areas that are marked as as good uh, on the prospects map for Minnesota uh, and and th that crop is out I think you're going to have a pretty good hunt here on the opener and basically all the way through the season well Jared I want to talk about some of the states surrounding us too and what their outlooks are going to be for the pheasant season this year but let's bring Tom on here for a second uh, Carp, I know you like late season hunting as much as I do. Um, I'm going to be down in, in Worthington for the opener, though, for the governor's opener. I'll be down there this weekend. And I'm kind of excited to be down there because we're going to tour the Worthington wellhead area down there. And I'm sure you're very familiar with that story, of course. Have you ever, I, I would like to hunt around. I've never, I've toured it before. I know the story behind it, but I've never had a chance to kind of hunt, hunt that. And the amount of public land that that's down in that area there's not a ton of public land but i think we're, we're going to film a story about the worthington wellhead for prairie sportsman i think that is a neat story i think that whole area and what they've done there and uh what opportunities that's opened up for for pheasant hunters and other wildlife uh for the most part just to create all that habitat i think that's a great story down there tom it is and it's it's great for hunters too i mean there is a substantial collection of public lands down in down in Nobles County in the Worthington area, Jackson. Uh, you get a little north of there up into Cottonwood and toward Wyndham. And it's thanks to our chapter's work down there, uh, chiefly the Nobles County chapter, but but the other chapters too in partnership with them. And there's more public land than you think down there. There's enough to keep plenty of people busy for a long time. And there are birds down there late season, too, there. I, I went down there in mid-December last year, and the birds are educated, but they're there. Uh, it's no surprise you got to work for those late-season birds. But I've hunted that, that um, Worthington Wells area for a long time. And there's a lot of land there. Uh, Scott Rawl, our, one of our PF legends and the chapter leader down there, will tell you there that if you walk the perimeter of some of these connected lands down in that area, you can go 14 miles yeah. on public land. So don't discount the, the plethora, to use a, uh, an old-fashioned word, but there's plenty of public land down there. Uh, to hunt and, it, and it's good too. It's managed well. There's a lot of good nesting habitat and we all know that, you know, one of the bottom lines of, of pheasant numbers is do they have a place to nest and raise birds and that is what they're all about down there is prairie habitat, which in particular for that Worthington Wells area is what you need as a water filter uh, for that. Uh, I can't even say the right name of the river down the Oceanon River. Um, I'm saying <laughs> it wrong. People will correct me uh, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so that that's sort of my viewpoint of down there. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot more young birds out there this year from what I'm hearing than what Jared might be seeing and in, the, in our, that east central neck of the woods. I think there's uh, some of that early rain might have um, 
might have hampered some brood production, but the late dry weather, as we're all sort of agreeing, has happened and, and dropped this year. I think there's going to be a lot of young roosters out there, and there's going to be substantial numbers of birds that are going to survive these first week or two of the season, or three, and be out there late later in the season to uh, sort of replenish the stock, so to speak. Well, and I know they're adding some more public land this weekend, or they're dedicating another WMA down there during the uh, the opener festivities. And you mentioned Scott Rawl; he's responsible for a lot of that public land down in that part of the state. So um, it's uh, it's it's been fun to watch him work while he's down there, and we're looking forward to getting down there and uh, and walking through the grass a little bit. Tom, where are you going to be out for opener, Tom? Are you going to? I'm sure you're going to be out somewhere. I bet. I'll be out on the western edge of Minnesota, so that's where West Central Minnesota. Yeah, you don't have to tell me where. I just, I just figured. You know, <laughs> I figured you'd be out there somewhere. It's okay not to tell anybody where you go. I know where you go. <laughs> you don't have to tell them where. Any, anybody who listens to me knows I'll tell you how all day, but never where. Yeah, that's right. That's that's right. That's what we have tools like Pheasants Forever's partner on X and all mm-hmm. the other things for. I mean, the 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 po- hunters, pheasant hunters, have never had a better opportunity to find public lands and oh by the way good public lands upon which to hunt and and here in minnesota we have just uh no shortage of public lands we have a rich richness of public lands you know over a million acres of wildlife management areas in what's considered the prime pheasant range i'd also offer and you know this brett brett that um you know when you get there's a lot more pheasants north of what we consider the we as a hunting pheasant hunting community consider the prime pheasant range there's a lot of good places to the north of that and especially in a year like this like jared said where the hatch is good yeah uh, there's there's going to be no shortage of opportunities i i always share the story a couple years ago some guys from my hometown in wisconsin called me and said tom we're we're uh heading to South Dakota, we want to stop off and hunt in in Minnesota on the way. And it was getting toward late season. And I told them, western two tiers of counties, anywhere from the bottom of the state, half uh, a third of the way up. And I I gave them the names of the towns we all know out there, Marshall, Canby, Madison, uh, Pipestone, you, you name it, Worthington. And, and they called me a couple weeks later. I said, I said how, well, how was your hunt? What, how'd you do in South Dakota? They said, ah, we never left Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, so, that's funny. We're going to definitely what, cut that out of the show for sure. We're not telling people it's, it's good in Minnesota. No, nobody, will, nobody will do it. They won't do it. Just so. I, you know, you I, I, I even you talk about going north and maybe Dan can pull up that distribution map again or that uh, that forecast map of the state. I remember when I lived in Fargo and there was a couple of times where I traveled east and I didn't have to go very far to find to find pheasants up in that neck of the woods. And, you know, you may not have as big of a population as you do down in the south. But if you put your time in, I I usually found birds around there and, I, and it was on public land, too. So there are there are definitely some more places that you can go, you know. Uh, Minnesota doesn't always get the the glory as a pheasant state. So I think that leaves some opportunities for those of us that do spend a lot of time here, but you can usually find birds in a lot of places in this state. Yep. You're right. And even Jared, but but all the hunters out there should go to South Dakota in (laughs) minute. I'm just saying, well, like like Jared says that East central too. I mean, you think about some of the opportunities there 
and it, where, where there's public land and, and think about late season public land. Uh, you know, you can see the color on the map there. It's, it's, it's no, uh, it, it's no big surprise that you get some dark brown up there in that West Central. And because, uh, oh, by the way, it connects to what is probably some of Wisconsin's best pheasant country in the Northwest quadrant of Wisconsin. Hmm. I think the, the, the roadside reports, um, you know, kind of like we've been pointing out here, if you if you bring that map up again and take a look at it, you know, that sort of um, otter tail, Wilkin, Travers, up into clay, you know, you start getting up into uh, prairie chicken uh, territory um, mm. or sharp tails as you go further north, but you sort of get in that forested, shrubland, grassland sort of biome region where it's sort of a crossover where you're thinking maybe maybe more maybe more rough grouse than pheasants. But um, as a guy that's got family uh, out in those areas, particularly uh, otter, otter tail, Todd, um, and other places, you know, the amount of pheasants that they've seen over the years um, has, has started to go up. So di- don't discount those areas. But one thing I did want to point out is when you when you look at the prospect maps from 21 to 22, it's basically basically a flip-flop a lot of the a lot of the places that were white went to went to very poor the places that were very poor went to poor and you know so on and so forth and I don't think it's a it's not a secret to anybody that um, in in the sort of main pheasant range for 2022 in that prospect map when you take sort of big stone lack of all the way down through brown and blue earth counties it's it's turned to solid brown this year and that's exactly what we were hoping to see um, those areas if you look at uh, august august roadside counts um, and the entire um the entire pdf that the state puts out for that and you look at the areas where they've got the most grassland habitat um they they look at the square mileage of grassland habitat and it it matches up extremely well with what you're seeing uh on this map right now like i said all the way from lack down through blue earth is where you've got the uh largest stretches of grassland in the state so and uh there's a lot of outliers there that that have plenty of pheasants that people should visit too I think it'd be fun to, to, to film and I, this would take forever and I don't know if you'd be able to do it. Um, you know, or how long yes. it would take to do yes, it, I, I don't yes, know how long it would take to do it, but it'd be cool <laughs> to do, to try to shoot a pheasant in every County, you know, in the Southern half of the, of the state or something like that. Try to see how many counties in Minnesota you could shoot a pheasant in. I've actually got a friend in Iowa who's, who's doing that in Iowa right now. He's oh, really? trying to mark off all uh, I think is it nine? Is it ninety nine or hundred counties they have down there? I've been gone so long from the Hawkeye State, I can't remember anymore. But he's he's been very successful. The ones that he's gone to, he's checked off the list. I think he's at least halfway or over halfway through, which is pretty cool. How is Iowa looking for pheasants this year? Iowa's looking really good. Um, they had you know roughly just under a twenty percent increase, which was good. Um, sort of expected when you look at uh, the winter weather that they had, followed by spring weather. It was nice and dry, sort of similar to what Minnesota had, especially in the um, in the northern northwest and sort of, sort of west central parcels. Um, the the roadside counts are are really high. You can see it on the on the game distribution map on the screen there for pheasants, but. 
Um, there's a there's a lot of great areas. That northwest is always good, um, especially when you get up in that great Great Lakes region of Iowa. Uh, it's got the biggest concentration of public lands in the state. And uh, a few years ago, I, I really like West Central Iowa too, along the I-29 corridor. Driving down through there, you've got a lot of IHAP, uh, Iowa's Habitat and Access Program enrollments um, that uh, Pheasants Forever helps out with uh, with the Iowa DNR. Um, and you can look on there. There's uh, some some very good pheasant hunting opportunities uh, throughout the state this year, even into central where I used to live. Um, you've got pretty strong populations this year. And I'll throw in a little nugget. I also just got done writing the Iowa quail forecast. And uh, mm. if you're looking at hunting, hunting quail this year in Iowa, you can have a nice combo hunt uh, sort of in the west central down through the southwest. Uh, they've got pretty good quail counts this year if you know where to look for, you know, weedy habitat, shrubby habitat that borders some type of uh, agricultural crop is is a, a great recipe for Bob White's. We should do that, Dan. I haven't, I haven't, I don't know if I've ever really hunted quail. I mean, I've kind of been in quail country, never really seen them, but it'll be kind of fun to go down and, you know, that wouldn't be too long of a drive rip down there and, and uh, try to find some of those little birds. Um, what about uh, Wisconsin this year? You know, Wisconsin's actually looking pretty good too. They had an uptick uh, in their pheasant counts this year, especially in the Western and Northwest uh, portions of the state, which is sort of the primary pheasant range. Uh, we've got a number of different staff uh, that live over on the Western side of the state. And what they've been seeing when they've been driving through grassland areas and around some of the landowners that they live around and even the public areas, they've been seeing some pretty, pretty decent brood sizes um, and pretty happy with what they're seeing enough that, you know, they can go out to a waterfall production area or some type of wildlife management area um, and, and shoot a, shoot a few roosters in Wisconsin this year. So if you're a Wisconsinite living over there and, and looking for wild birds, the, the Western and sort of Northwestern portions of the state um, is, a, is a good place to go. Those waterfall production areas um, can tend to, to hold quite a few, actually, as long as you've got a, a, a crop source nearby. How is uh, Habitat doing in North Dakota? You know, in North Dakota, it's really recovered from the amount of uh, rain that they have. Everything is green. Um, when we talk with some of our staff, Bob St. Pierre, who I, I know you know, Brett, um, we, you know, when he went out there for uh, sort of the sharp tail season, it's a complete... Uh, it's a complete 180 from last year. Last year, if you could find quality habitat that wasn't drought stricken, that's where all the birds were. This year, um, you've got a wide range of just green, lush ground. And carp, carp you can probably talk to some of this too, because I know you've been out there, is that the habitat out in North Dakota is looking really good. And I heard uh, pretty good uh, reports um, from sort of the, the, the resident only opener here uh, this past weekend. Yeah, I, I can echo that from at least a sharp tail perspective. I've made two two trips out there after God's birds, which are sharp tails as I fashion them. They're one they're one of my favorites, um, and the the habitat is looking good out there. In fact, we we um, hunted some sharp tail some of the sharp tail country. There's too much grass. It was hip high. It was too thick. You're like, we got to get out of this. You know, anybody who's ever hunted sharp tails in North Dakota or South Dakota or real prairie sharp tails, as opposed to those that have adapted to other, other, other environments. And they're very adaptive, adaptable birds, by the way. But we, we found a lot of grass that wasn't even suitable for sharp tails that usually is because the habitat uh, was looking better. It looked more pheasanty 
than sharp daily. So I can echo that. I'm going up to North Dakota a uh, week after next to hunt with our Pheasants Forever Knife River chapter up there. They're a superstar chapter up near Bismarck. And uh, I'm looking forward to that hunt big time. You know, for a guy talking about God's birds and working for Pheasants Forever, I don't see either one of them behind you there, Carp. They're all in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> He's got too many. <laughs> I, didn't, I would have hung. I got to be honest. I hung one up. The, I did an Onyx class a couple weeks ago, and I did hung. I hung a pheasant up behind me there, where you see some of my uh, some of my deer antlers. I didn't know. I thought this is just a radio show. I thought otherwise, I would have put one up. So, so that's hey. what, that's what you, that's what you get is basket racks, turkeys, and and uh, that's Brett. it. Brett, you can't see it, but on a really good day when we're having conference calls for for pheasants forever and partners and stuff, and carp is on those. If he sits just right, it looks like it looks like that big ten pointer is just coming straight out straight out of his head. I always say, man, I'd like to harvest one of those. Anyways, that's great. Yeah, I can I can try and do that for you here if you want. There, <laughs> I can't do it. There, there, baby. I can't do it. That's all right. All right. What about uh, what about South Dakota? And do you think that um, the extension that they've put onto their season has that affected things at all at this point? Um, so South Dakota overall, I, I think it's it's pretty easy to determine where wild bird populations are going to be this year. If you look at the drought map of the state, along so basically south of the I ninety corridor. It is, it is dry as popcorn, and um, there probably wasn't as good a bird recruitment down there this year. North of there, the rains return. Um, all the different landowners that, that we've uh, spoken with, uh, Eric Johansson would be one of them, who, Brett, I know you've met before. Mm-hmm. Um, they're seeing some great things on the landscape, talking with our state coordinator and our farm bill biologists. They work with a lot of landowners throughout the year, so um, they, they, are, they are seeing some pretty good returns, obviously. Um, they, they don't have the brood count anymore, so it's hard to get like an exact number on relative abundance, but, um, everybody's saying the birds are up, especially north of I-90 when you get in that corridor where the rains have returned, the habitat returned and the, the birds responded. So, um, I did, uh, I, I just talked to our state coordinator, Pat Morlock this morning, and he was actually, he was actually driving around doing a little work on his farm. Um, he's sort of uh, between Redfield and Huron, and he said he drove past uh, he drove past a uh, a walking hunting area. I can't remember if it was walking hunting or crapping room. I think it was walking hunting, um, and he said he saw probably 25, 25 roosters in the ditch, plus all the hens that were with them, just mm-hmm. in that place. There, there was nobody hunting them during the resident opener. So, I think things are looking good there. Um, obviously, we could use a, a, another easy winter to get the birds back on track, uh, but the habitat's looking great, especially further north you go in the state, and that seems to be the bird forecast in general throughout the pheasant range, throughout the sharptail range. The farther north you go, the rains return, and, and that seems to be where the birds are. But as far as extending the season goes, I can tell you that I have enjoyed going out there late season. Uh, the past two years, I've, I've hunted uh, basically the, the, the last week in January. Uh, last year, we saw one other hunter in passing. That was it. We had all sorts of crep and walking areas to ourselves, the mm-hmm. birds, um, 
you know, the birds were all huddled up and, and good cover right next to quality winter thermal cover right next to the food. And it was a very enjoyable hunt. So if you're looking to sort of extend your season, um, South Dakota, I think is a, is a really great option, especially if you, if you live in one of the bordering States. Gosh, I want to do that. I feel like January starts to get busy. I got to do shot show this year and some other, some other shows, but we should try to, I, I want to make a trip. Like I've hunted pheasants in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, both Dakotas. I've never gone outside those States uh, to chase pheasants around. Uh, Tom, if a guy like me who wanted to actually take a travel trip outside of these, these five States and, and hunt pheasants, where would you tell me to go? Outside of North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin, yeah. And Wisconsin. You're you're in the heart. <laughs> That's you why know, I don't go anywhere. I don't have right. to. Right. You know where I'd I'd do it? I'd I'd go to Montana. Oh. And experience big sky pheasants. Everybody's gotta do that. I've, I've hunted Montana, Idaho, Utah, uh, Colorado, and they're all great. I you could almost pick any one of those. Um but I'd say Montana, especially in a year. I think, and I think their pheasants are pretty good out there this year. Uh, from the reports I'm hearing, another good year, and they'll be even better. Now that'll draw a lot of hunters. But yeah. Montana can be sort of a bucket list, once in a lifetimer, shooting roosters out there. I mean, some areas of Montana, you look at it, and you're like, you could be in the middle of South Dakota or the middle of Southern Wisconsin. But other areas, there's mountains in the background, and it's magnificent. So I'd say Montana for a bucket list type adventure. That would be neat to do it with the mountains yep. in the background. I did I did hunt in uh, the Badlands of Western North Dakota a few a few yep. times, and uh, there were a couple of retrieves where we were we were hunting, you know, kind of the bottoms around these buttes, and and I know I shot one, and it and the bird was flying over some sort of cliff or draw or something and it dropped into there and I just watched my dog go <laughs> like uh oh and but she came right back over the top of that thing straight up the steep embankment came right up over the top of that bird in her mouth it was uh it was some some interesting that, hunting out there that's what labs are all about I would say one other note though is you know Failing to mention Kansas and Nebraska yeah. can be a mistake. Those are good too. Now, but as Jared said, and uh, and I wrote in the pheasant forecast this year, the the rains returned north. They didn't return south. And he's right. South of the I ninety corridor in South Dakota and down into Nebraska and then Kansas, it gets worse and worse for drought. And and bird numbers, I do believe are down there this year so those would be two other states and for a, a good minnesotan like you you could you can get up early in the morning and, and be hunting in nebraska in the afternoon yeah uh, if, if you leave early enough you know you can't do that with montana and kansas kansas is farther but you think about a late season hunt and january hunting nebraska baby yeah. uh, there there it's it can be good so but and I'd there, say Mon there, Mon Montana for big adventure and, and Nebraska just to get out and get something in uh, maybe late season. I think Carp is absolutely right, too, in that like places like Kansas and Nebraska, um, there's still a lot of CRP there. There's still um, uh, 
a lot of production uh, in some places as long as the weather's cooperating. And you've got those seasons that stretch into late January as well. Um, you can add quail to the mix. I think quail is maybe a little bit brighter forecast uh, in some of those areas this year. And you're going to obviously have a little mixed bag opportunity when you throw some throw some potential pheasant habit, habitat in there as well. So yeah, I, I would agree with carp. I think those would be those would be good picks to consider um, outside of outside of Montana. Uh, and sort of this this Midwest region, but Brett, I I just want to you mentioned that you don't do much hunting in January, so after we get off this podcast, uh, I think we're gonna have to have to have a little talk about your priorities and getting those, <laughs> getting those straightened out, and maybe doing a late season hunt this year. Let's go, let's get a plan. I'm in, I'm in. You don't have to ask me twice. I don't do a lot of late season hunting because I can't. Generally, it's either closed here or it's uh, or I'm I'm working a show somewhere or something I, like that, I, but. I don't agree with that. Everything I see, you're you you pheasant hunt all December, and that's it. Because uh, you're you're coming up, the waterfowl trail is starting to freeze up, and uh, I think it's just January that we need to get you out. Everything I see, you're hunting you're hunting pheasants every day in December. So. Yeah, pretty much. And I don't. And I, don't don't give us a sob story. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you turned down a January invite from Jared last year too. Well, yeah, so, yeah I'm pretty so. sure. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. What did we Aberdeen. No, I think you just didn't go. I well, I think you you're chicken. You're scared of the cold. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You talk yeah, all about it. Walking through that. You, you talk all about it, and you don't go. Gosh, you I know. Had I, the chance. I am in. Yeah. I I want to do that late January deal in South Dakota so bad. And I actually, I was thinking about a Nebraska trip. Uh, we turkey hunted down there this year and I definitely saw some birds around and, uh, Nebraska is kind of what I was thinking as well uh, until I started thinking about Iowa. Now you got me thinking about Montana, man, <laughs> all, all the states, I, you know, some of your, yeah. some of your listeners might remember Brett that you and I hunted a waterfall production area in South Dakota as part of a media deal a few years ago. Uh, and there was, there was three of us and, that was probably one of the most enjoyable hunts that I've had on my mind for a long time. It's you're a guy that likes likes to hunt quiet, just kind of send the dog with hand signals. I'm sort of the same way. And I don't know if you remember, but we got back in that waterfall production area. There was a bunch of human tracks all over it, except for the very back. And it was just a it was a jungle of reed canary. And when we got back there, there were some pretty special things that happened uh, as far as the birds go. Man, it was, I don't know if you remember that, but it, oh, yeah. was, uh, it was pretty lights out pheasant hunt. Yeah, no, I remember that very well. And I, I mean, that's that's that hunt just reinforces my philosophy on a lot of public land hunting is sometimes you just got to go to the very back or find the thickest, the thickest piece, especially if that piece gets walked yep. a lot. You got to find the part that's hard to get to because a lot of guys, person. a lot of guys won't go back there or can't get back there, uh, especially later yeah. in the season when the, when it's full of snow and there's a lot of snow on the ground. If I remember that day too. And, uh, yep. Yeah, that was a fun hunt. I had a great time. I think we got stuck. Here's, <laughs> we here's, did get stuck. That's right. <laughs> here's your here's your carpism, guys. They're called hell holes, and you got to get in. <laughs> there hell it holes. is. Love it. Hell holes. That's yeah. hell holes. I'm sure you've written about those places many times, Carp. And uh, what we got a new magazine coming out, right? What can we yes. expect? Well, I don't know if you, people can see this. Is what you can expect. It's in the, uh, it should be arriving in mailboxes any old day now. Uh, it's all printed. It's the fall edition. Uh, there's a lot of good stories. It's a lot of hunting. One, one thing I'm pretty happy about is three 
introduction, three I call them good reads. They're fireside reads, they're pheasant hunting classics. And those are really good. I mean, there's, we all talk about techniques and places like we're talking today, but there's also the tradition of pheasant hunting. And that's what some of these stories get at. And, and that's important too. That's what we're trying to build with new hunters, build new traditions. And that's, uh, that's part of what, what this, is, this issue is about is to inspire that. One is called Pheasants Beyond Autumn. It's a great read, a classic from John Madsen, uh, a very well-known outdoor writer who uh, had a lot of classics. He wrote in the seven, 1970s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Wow. And then there's a story following by Chris Madsen, his son, longtime editor of Wyoming Wildlife, and it's his take, on, one of his takes on pheasant hunting. So there's that father-son comparison. And then, and then there's also some very uh, interesting hunting how-to stories. What about grit? You might think grit is boring, but uh, our writer, Andrew McKean, uh, takes it to a new level with some scientific research and also how hunters can, can utilize grit. Uh, we, we play up uh, one of our uh, members uh, or one of our great photographers, Eric Peterson, got together with one of our board members, uh, Douglas Spallett, and they brought some new hunters out in the field. That's called Ripples, and there's a companion video. So I, I could just go on and on. And I'm looking as I, you know, you do these magazines. I released it to the printer about Labor Day, and you sort of forget what's in there, and then you sort of rediscover it. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 a great issue. I'm really I, I saw the print the print mine, mine came in the other day, my special box early box. So be ready for it if you're a member. If you're not a member, or you're late in renewing and you want to get this issue, email me. Carpenter at pheasantsforever.org and sit, tell me, I'll believe you. Oh, I just joined. I need the fall issue or I re I didn't renew, but now I've renewed. I missed the list because you missed the list. If you weren't a member current as about September, email, email me T Carpenter at pheasantsforever.org and I'll get one of these sent out to you. And uh, just for, for getting back involved, uh, joined up or renewed with the organization. It's a cool picture. Oh, well, let me just, oh, that, that I'll just say one last thing I was going to add is that I, we wrote or Carp wrote a blog about that picture on the front and okay. said, if, if that, uh, if that picture doesn't get you fired up for, for the season, you, you might want to go get a doctor, doctor check on your pulse. <laughs> I would agree with it. I, it's a, it's a pretty yeah, cool photo if, to kick if off. If you the can see, season. I'm having, I'm having spatial difficulties <laughs> get on the camera, but you can see that he just shook some water. Oh, and look it's, at that. it's yeah. also interesting to note. Look at that ring. We had some discussions here internally about that neck ring, hmm. and somebody was saying, "Well, is that a Sichuan pheasant? Is that a what? That must be something different." It's like if <laughs> if you haven't shot a pheasant with a neck ring like that, you haven't shot many pheasants. They're as different as you, as me, yeah. as Jared. They, there's all kinds of genetics in there. And that's a wild pheasant. He just, his neck ring doesn't meet in front just because I just the same way that I'm especially handsome. Uh, it's, they're all, they're all just, they're all just different, Touché. right? Touche. So it's a great issue. I hope everybody's excited to get it. Like I said, email me if you uh, are late and signing in renewing or signing up and want to get it and we'll get you on board. Who took that photo on the cover? Uh, I, I'd have to look it up here. I can't quite recall right now. Um, so 
It, it's a pretty cool picture, and I'm guessing it was yeah. a little bit breezy that day. And I've taken pictures of roosters in, in, a, in a wind when they're when the wind's kind of at their back, and sometimes the tail is all bent sideways, and there's feathers all out of place. And sometimes it's hard to yeah. make them look good when you got a wind like that. But that's a nice photo, and I I think you got another really cool photographer that's got pictures in that issue. I think I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have a confirmation it, yet. Eric, who, Eric Peterson, or I think I've, I think I've got a couple pictures in there. I know. Oh, I did say cool photographer. I said there's an average photographer that's got a couple pictures in there. Is what I should have said. Uh, no, we, ex we well expect done. to see a lot more from you in the future. Yeah. What? Yeah. Honestly, I don't know what pictures you guys use though. Do you know? Uh, I, I'll have to look. I'll have to look up and make sure. I think they're in the winter piece, aren't they? Because Logan just said, "Hey, we're gonna use a couple photos." I'm like, all right, sounds sounds good. And uh, so I didn't ask him which ones uh, which ones you guys used, but I'm excited to see it in any case. So I think it's one of those hands gliding into the corn. Oh sure. You know, coming right at you. Yeah, that's cool. So, well, I appreciate no, it's that. A good, it's a good issue. Uh, uh, we'll keep. We're gonna get some of the stories up online here too. But uh, like I said. Send me an email if you want to, if you renew, join or renew and get it and keep up your membership with Pheasants Forever. You know, every everything we're talking about here today, it all comes down to habitat. If the birds have habitat, in particular nesting habitat, that is the key. Uh, food is important. Winter habitat is important. But without places to nest, without that prairie grass, wildflower, forb, pollinator habitat, we don't have pheasants and maintaining your membership in pheasants forever is part of the solution. Not only the money that you contribute, but also the, the numbers of people we have advocating for the uplands. And nobody can tell you better than Jared, the power of this pheasants forever family for getting stuff done. I won't use that word I used before the power <laughs> for getting stuff done on the landscape. Amen, brother well, and can sister. I, can I just say that lifetime membership? I think is uh, I think that's a bargain. I, I'm surprised more people don't do that. When you think about it, I think that's yep. a heck of a deal. I'm surprised it doesn't cost more for that. Yeah, you think of all the generous, generous folks who do a rooster booster every year at seventy five bucks, and ten ten years, you're almost paid for a life membership. Just get yeah. a life membership, um, and it's it's a great deal. Uh, you get the magazine for life, and I think it's a great magazine. I would, but you also get you get all the other bet. You know, and there's status to be a life member. I mean, you're a life member. That's that's a big deal, and the and all the you know you get the certificate, the, the plaque, and uh, but most of all, you're putting a thousand dollars to good use toward the habitat mission, and that's what it all comes down to. Well, I think I'm due to renew mine anyway, so I'm I'm saying it right here. I'm getting a lifetime membership today. So let's go. That's I don't do, it, do it sooner. Is do there? It, do it at Pheasant Fest and, and and have me do the sign up, and then everybody will think I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> Is there still a, a T-shirt promo going on for those who renew? I, or is that, uh, that yeah, I think you'll have to check. Brett, uh, Brett pulled up the website. I I don't know. Do, Jared and I aren't 100% involved, but there there was a good t-shirt and cozy yeah. offer. Oh, you're wearing it. You're wearing, wearing. No. This thing yeah. is my favorite Tramp shirt now. Trampled by, trampled by pheasants uh, is a trampled by turtles promo that we do. We also have a, a, uh, a hat, pheasant hunting oh, yeah. hat with the Pheasants Forever logo on it and neck buff combo right now. Um, there's all sorts of uh, 
pretty cool stuff to choose from right now. But those those are our two biggest offers of the fall. And if you're going to sign up for a membership, do it online and, and make sure you sign up for those promos. You can find them at pheasantsforever.org. Pheasantsforever.org. Anything else uh, coming up for PF that you want people to know about? Um, the, the one big one would be National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is back in Minnesota this year. It's going to be at the Minneapolis Convention Center on February 17th through the 19th. Um, I think on the, the night of the 16th, which is Thursday, I believe we're going to have our Film Fest once again, which was a huge hit last time. Um, there's going to be some new stuff coming to the show this year, and it's a true national convention for all of our chapters in the nation. We're inviting every single one of them. It's going to be a huge chapter presence. If you're looking at coming to um, the Friday or Saturday night fundraising events, which are always a hit, be sure to buy your tickets early. I know we've sold uh, 900 of the 1,500 tickets already, so um, it's going to it's going to be a big bash, and it's uh, it's all for wildlife habitat conservation for our favorite birds and public places to go out and chase them. Can people still submit films for the film fest? Is it, uh, uh, they can, I believe. Yes. Okay. Yes, I can check on that, but I believe uh, if you if you email me, I can put you in touch with the person that's uh, coordinating all of that right now. Perfect. Okay. Very good. Well, nice to see it back in Minnesota, of course. Always uh, good to get out into some of those other states, but nice to have you guys back home for the for the big shindig this year. Uh, Jared Wickland, Tom Carpenter, keep up the good work there at Pheasants Forever. Uh, for you, get yourself a membership if you don't have one. And uh, guys, thanks for the time today on the show, and uh, let's get a let's get a trip planned. Sounds good. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Dan. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, time now to head up to Ottertail Lakes Country to check in with Eric Osberg, who spent some time on the water. Eric, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you, Brett? You know, I'm focusing on hunting. We did try going fishing the other day. It was pretty tough for us. It was uh, it was cold, and and uh, I don't know if we just didn't time it right or, or what, but uh, I've been so focused on hunting, but I know fishing is really starting to get good, and you had a pretty good night out there, didn't you? We did. We went out on Ottertail Lake under the, I don't know if it was the full moon. It was, you know, a bright moon. I do know that. Um, we went out under the under the moonlight on Ottertail Lake. The October full moon is one of my favorites. I've had some really memorable nights uh, out on the water. And it took us a while to find the fish, but but eventually we found the walleyes and, and we caught some good ones. There's, yeah, there, Dan Dan's on the spot again. Yeah. We, uh, it took us a while to find them, but we found them. And, um, I just, I, you and I have talked about this before. I love pulling cranks and, and, uh, it was a successful night on the water for sure. You like fishing at night, don't you? I do. Well, I I'm, I'm a second shift kind of guy just to, just to begin with. Maybe it's cause I'm lazy. I'm not sure, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but, uh, I, I love, I like fishing at night. Um, I think number one, it's when I have time to, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a day job, so I don't get to fish during the day as much as I want. Uh, there's less competition usually. And, and from that, I mean boats, there's less activity. 
Um, the, it was pretty busy at the landing on, on Saturday night, but it was a Saturday night, you know, full moon or pert near full moon. But, uh, no, so, I, so there I were a lot of guys fishing, game. fishing at night that day. Yeah. That yeah. Night? I remember we always play a game when we pull into the access, we say, guess how many boats, like we establish an over under, right? Like how many boats are there going to be? And, and my buddy said five and I said, uh, 15. And I think there was 17, <laughs> and, and there was Jeez. 17, but, and that was that was just at the Riviera access on Ottertail. Wow. So I don't know what was at the other two accesses, but uh, but what's funny is when you get Ottertail's a big lake. It's um thirteen, fourteen thousand acres, right? And so you get out there and you're like, Where'd all the boats go, right? Like where is everybody? Yeah. So it um it worked out though. It was mm-hmm. it was a good a good bite room to fish uh and i yeah we went out before sunrise and fished right away at first light and <laughs> right away my buddy tony's like yeah let's meet there at what, what time was that dan like 6 15 or whatever it was 6 45 whatever 6 45 but yeah, yeah. it was, it was like, jet black oh man that's yeah. so early i'm a second shifter too like i, I like doing <laughs> stuff in the afternoon and evenings i like hunting yeah. and the, you know duck, duck hunting is a little different but but yeah. you know pheasant hunting and uh, fishing. When we're recording this, by the way, we're having a, a apparently some sort of thunderstorm here in October. Welcome back to Florida. I guess. Wow. This is uh, kind of interesting here in thunder outside on, on October 12th. Anyway, it was uh, it was early morning. There was The landing was busy as well where we were fishing. There were a lot of guys out there, a lot of boats. And I think we saw one sheephead get caught while we were out there. Uh, we only gave good. her... We only gave her uh, about two hours or so, <clears throat> excuse me, hour and a half, two hours, and it was cold and it was slow, so we had work to do, um, so we got off the water. But So let's go back to your night, uh, October full moon, and you're pulling yep. cranks. What yep. what what were you targeting, and uh, did you find fish right away? You said it took you a while to find the fish? It, it took us a while. We, you know, spot number one didn't work, spot number two didn't work, spot number three kind of, but spot number four worked. Um and that my, what I wanted to share is normally my go-to when I'm pulling cranks normally is a number five fire tiger flicker shad from, from Berkeley. And I, I will say I'm not affiliated with Berkeley in any way, shape or form. I just really like these flicker shads. And so a buddy of mine introduced me to a new lure, not, not groundbreaking or anything, but it worked really well. It's a number seven shallow. Hmm. And so, and so what I'm typically doing is I'm trolling in 10 feet of water, give or take a foot or two. Right. Um, and, and so this usually gets me where I need to be, but what we found on, on Saturday night is the, the fish were congregated in an area. There was a really big spot, a really big shoreline. There was three or four other boats on this shoreline and it's a large shoreline. And we picked up a fish. And I kind of wanted to get away from those other boats. There you go. Um, and 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 so if you can find the shallow one, that's that's the that's the key though. You got to get that shallow running lip on there. So what, what I, we I said to my buddy, I said let's try to let's try to get away from these boats. Let's try to expand this bite. And so we kept going, kept going, kept going, and we found a pocket full of weeds right right next to the break. And and when you stood up and you turned your headlamp on, you could see like it was thick, thick weeds. And normally we would go on the shallow side of that. Like I, we caught as fish as shallow as six feet, but for whatever reason, I I ran on the deep side of those weeds Hmm. and the weeds were, so we were like 10, 11, 12, even 13 feet. And the weeds were like halfway up. And so what this number five did is it gave it, it was a bigger profile 
but it but it, it only ran like halfway down and and so and i don't know if this will show up on it but you can see those those marks on there that those are those are fresh walleye marks so so nice. if 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 you're into trolling cranks and i i've been throwing a number seven or a number five whatever but this number seven shallow if i could pick it up this number seven shallow is uh there you go the berkeley shallow flicker shad love that bait um our our color was a darker color that the fish seemed to like on that night but uh, i i love the way they run i love the way they um I love the way they sound in the water, and I love the way that uh, fish hammer. So you're running them above the weeds. Then at that point, were you were you going pretty fast, or did you run them slow? We uh, over two miles an hour. It, you know, mm-hmm. two point two, two point three, two point four. You know, uh, sometimes the wind was behind us, sometimes it was in front of us. In my, I, I don't have a fancy boat. I just have an old tiller with a fifty horse Merc, and so if I need to slow down, I'll drop my trolling motor just to give some resistance in the water. And I tried that a few times. We did try going super fast. We tried like three miles an hour, four miles an hour, uh, dare I say five miles an hour up in those shallower spots. Oh, the but random approach. The random approach, yeah. That, that, that I feel just, it feels goofy <laughs> going that fast, so I give up on it right away. But it, it was weird. There was like one stretch, right? Like we'd go through there and I'd be like, all right, get ready to get hit. Boom, he'd get hit. And then boom, I'd get hit. And then we'd turn around and we'd come back through. And, but if I was seven feet this way, it was too weedy. And if I was seven feet that way, it was 30 feet of water. So, you know, blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So we were lucky to, to find a good spot. And, spot and, and the, and the spot. cool, yeah, the spot on the spot. And the cool thing is the fish were all plump. Even the, even the 18 inches, you know, were just nice and fat. And when we, and when we cleaned them, and we did, we did keep them. This was a keep and clean trip. It, it was funny because their their stomachs were pretty empty. Hmm. So so it wasn't that they were full of food; they were just really healthy. And 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 my buddy Matt Parker, he was the one who went with me. He always loves to dissect them and look in their stomachs to see what they're eating. And the ones sure. that did have bait in there were uh, they were eating little perch. Hmm. So. Um, but yeah, it was a good night. No giants. I think twenty one was our biggest, or twenty one and a half. But uh, and but it, it was a it was a good trip. It was a fun outing. Did you pull jigs at all? We didn't that night. But but it is it is a jig time of year. Um, I did take uh, Willie and one of his buddies. We left Ottertail County. Believe it or not, we we were fishing down. What uh, we were fishing? Blasphemy. Yeah, yeah, we I know, I know. We were fishing in, uh, we were fishing in Morrison County. We were fishing the Mississippi River, and we were using minnows and jigs. And I, as long as we're doing show and tell, I want to show another thing. Sure. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not affiliated with Northland in any way, shape, or form. But these fireball jigs from Northland, these short shanks, um, I think they're critical when it comes to to minnow fishing. And we were using sucker minnows. Just regular, not giant sucker minnows or creek chubs, just sucker minnows. Yep, there's a just a plain old fireball jig. Um, and I really like these because when you hook the minnow through the mouth and out the top of the head, they just look real. The minnow looks really natural. Um, when Randon Olson and I did really well in the Real Country Classic back in May on Otter Tail, we were using fireball jigs and shiners and it's just you know i've i used to use long shank jigs with my minnows whether it was a shiner or a sucker or a fatter or whatever you know and you kind of run the through and whatever but i i 
I, I don't feel like I lose any fish because the because the, the the shank is short, and I just I really like the way it sits inside of the minnow, if you will, and the way that minnow looks in the water. And so, <clears throat> a lot of times I'm a live bait rig guy when it comes to to uh, minnows. But this year, just because I was lazy, again, back to me being lazy, <laughs> I was just like, you know what, let's just use a jig. And it, and it worked just fine. So, you know, I, um, I, I had this conversation with some of the guys the other day about about hunting. And I made the comment too, ah, it's, it's kind of like the lazy way to do it. But, you know, we're getting to that age, Eric, where we've, we've been doing this for a while. And I think it's less about being lazy and more about being smart, I think. Well, you, we can. I'm sure, we could go with that. It will work, work, work smarter, not harder. If right. that's if that's the approach you want to take, that's um, going with. yeah, it, it's uh, whatever, whatever. Hey, whatever works, right? Like if if you catch fish because you're wearing your hat backwards or because you got all your change <laughs> in your left pocket, whatever, or or get a deer or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. But th- those those are the advice that I would give people is is number one, get out on the water. Still, I mean, if you're in hunting mode, I get that, but there is still plenty of good fishing right now and and i'll be fishing up until first ice and 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 you know if you're if you're pulling cranks don't be afraid to go shallow and 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 uh you know try some new cranks i will say this my buddy matt was running a a rapala ssr5 and and he caught fish too so it wasn't like that had to be the bait yeah but um um go shallow adjust your speed and 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 try some different things at, at least just to mix it up you know, I don't know how much wind you're getting up there or how much wind you got in the last couple of days, but I'd assume colors are about at their peak up there, but I bet a lot of those leaves are going to be coming off the trees here pretty quick. Yeah, it, and it's and glad you brought it up. I was at Maplewood State Park yesterday. Um, I was amazed at how much color was still there. I really yeah. was. Like the color, I, I live over, you know, eastern part of the county, Um and, and it's pretty dull color-wise. And then I got to Maplewood State Park, and I was like, they, the lights are still on. Like, mm-hmm. And especially, in, and maybe, I don't know if you've been in the woods yet, but when, you, when you're talking about fall colors, you know, it, it's, it's, an, it's like baking a turkey, right? It starts on the outside, and then it kind of works its way in. If you can get in the woods right now, I'll bet you'd see plenty of fall colors. So it, you might have to switch from driving around to, 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 to enjoy the fall colors, to actually stopping and getting out and walking through the woods. Cause I was, yeah. I was amazed by the fall colors I saw yesterday. I thought we were way past peak. Well, and like, I'm south. We're of, at peak. Yeah. And I'm south of you a little bit, Eric, but I, uh, before that cold front moved through here this week, I went out and was flying the drone around and getting a lot of, I mean, our colors were perfect. You know, I'd say right. that we were about, about peaking and we're starting to lose them now with, uh, with the wind. But um, there's probably still you're right. I've never heard it described like that, like baking a turkey before. <laughs> well, well, I've I've never, I've never really noticed it before. But you know what I mean? Like like I the insides of the woods are the last to turn. Right. And so yeah, yeah. It's you got to <laughs> get out of the car. Got to get out of the car. Walk through the woods. I love it. And, uh, I- enjoy it that way. All right, Eric. Well, people want to come up there yet this fall or if they want to plan something for this winter or maybe start looking into vacation time next summer in the lakes country, where should they go to find their inner otter? They can find their inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. 
The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, now we're going to head up to Lake of the Woods to check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, you're uh, you're almost to the lake now, it looks like. Yeah, heading, heading up. I got uh, some different meetings and things up at Lake of the Woods, and uh, it's an exciting weekend. I mean, the Shiners are in the river. The Wallace are in the river. There's a big tournament, uh, the Chili Bowl tournament at Board of View Lodge this weekend. So I know a number of teams that are pre-fishing already, and, and I'm hearing some really good reports both from the um, not only the river, but also the lake. And uh, fishing's happening, man. Fall, fall movements, fall patterns of walleyes, and it's it's exciting. Uh, it's also exciting talking about ice fishing. I mean, these walleyes are starting to go into their fall haunts so that when people that fish early ice, when they get out there, those walleyes are going to be stacked like they always are, and things are, things are playing out. It's awesome. Yeah, well, and the, I mean, obviously the Rainy River is kind of legendary in the fall and the spring, and I mean, year-round, realistically. But how how about fall fishing up at the Northwest Angle, Joe? Oh, it's it's incredible. I mean, you know, fishing up in the Northwest Angle, quite honestly, all summer has been incredible. You know, a lot of the charter boats from the south end of the lake have been going up to the Northwest Angle just because there's been a, a lot of eater fish up there. Um, where they're hanging out there, they, they stick around pretty good, meaning, you know, um, they're, they're hanging on structure or in some of the mud flats and they move a little bit here and there, but they're, they, they stay fairly put, which means you go back the next day. And in most cases, those fish are around and, and that, that's advantageous. You know, uh, you know, somebody might say, why would a charitable go all the way across Lake of the Woods and spend all that gas? And I'll tell you the reason for it is these resorts do everything they can. If you're in their charter boat to get you on good fish and that's why yeah um we're going up there next week pretty excited about it we're going to be doing some hunting but we're also going to fish while we're up there joe and obviously you got different opportunities uh, different species to fish for muskies uh and get into some crappies uh pike uh, of course walleyes up there if you were going to go up there next week joe what would you fish for you know i think i would probably start out for walleyes just to kind of you know, wet the palate, get that out of my system. And once I got enough walleyes out of my system, what I would like to do is probably just go work some shorelines, go work some bays and cast different lures, cast a, a chatterbait, cast some spinnerbait, cast some some uh, crankbaits. You'll get multi-species, but, I mean, that is so much fun. It's like you're hunting, right? It's like yeah. you're, you're just working shorelines in go-to areas, whether they're points, whether they're bays with a little bit of weed in them. Maybe it's a saddle coming between two islands. Maybe it's a neck down area where there's a little bit of current coming through. It's just to me so exciting getting to those go-to spots and making those first few casts. You know, somebody's always going to catch a fish. Lake of the Woods, you never know what it's going to be. Is it going to be a a 52-inch muskie? Is it going to be a 47-inch pike? Is it going to be a big walleye, a big smallmouth, a big crappie, a big perch? I mean, they're they're all hitting. They're they're all being caught right now as we speak. 
I'm excited to go up next week. Dan and I are going up and uh, we're going to the angle and we're going to do some layout boat duck hunting, which is something I've, I've always wanted to do. And uh, there's only a handful of lakes in Minnesota that you can do it on. And uh, Joe, uh, you found us a guy that will take us out up there. Uh, he does some guiding up there. Is that right? Yeah. So Forrest Husett, and then he, I think he combines with Andy Reeves on the duck hunting, but yeah, th those two guys do the layout boat duck hunting. And, you know, Brett, as you know, there's only a few big lakes in Minnesota that, that it's legal to do layout boat hunting. And, you know, you should, for, for some of the listeners that might not know what layout boat hunting, it might be good just to kind of tune them in a little bit. Well, maybe we can, yeah, maybe Dan can pull up a picture, but essentially you're, you're in a, you're in a boat it's uh, usually just for one person. Sometimes they have uh, two-person boats, but they sit real low to the water. It's almost like being in a layout blind that floats, essentially. So you're laying right down there on the surface of the water. Uh, usually got a diver line out in front of you then, and you're shooting these divers from essentially laying on your back on the water, on the lake. It's uh, it's kind of unique. It's pretty interesting. And again, it's, it's they do it a lot on uh, Lake Michigan. They'll do it for for divers and sea ducks over there and uh, bigger water hunts a lot of times. Uh, they'll do that with these layout boats. And it, it's not legal on a lot of lakes because uh, particularly in Minnesota, if you're going to hunt out of a boat, uh, most, most areas you have to be concealed within vegetation. You can't just anchor your boat up out in the middle of the lake and shoot ducks out there. Some states you can, Minnesota you can't. Uh, but they've legalized this open water hunting out of these layout boats in a number of lakes. Uh, I think Pepin, Mille Lacs, Lake of the Woods, uh, Superior. And they actually opened it up for public discussion. Was that last year, Dan, that they discussed maybe uh, legalizing more open water hunting opportunities in Minnesota and they didn't have enough support for it. So you may see it grow. You may not. I don't know. It gives these people that are on these bodies of water kind of a unique opportunity for those of us that want to try a different style of waterfowl hunting. So um, I don't know what we're going to shoot. I haven't heard duck numbers up on the lake at this point. Uh, the weather that we've had, we definitely should have had some good pushes of birds into the area. So I'm sure we're going to shoot some divers up there, maybe, maybe some mallards, uh, but I'm guessing probably some buffs and uh, some ring ringers and some of the other divers that that cruise around up there but it, it's just going to be a unique experience even if we yeah honestly joe even if we don't pull the trigger i'm going to enjoy it just because i've never had a chance to do it before yeah it's gonna be fun you know, i think i think you pull the trigger but you know i think i think the other thing they say too is that you know a lot of those birds coming down from canada you know this, this, these are the first hunters that they're going to experience so they're not going to be real gun shy and you know they're flying across that open water and they see a string of decoys Heck, they don't even think twice about that, uh, whatever that is laying in the, in the water there. I mean, they can, you know, they, they come right up. And it's really cool, too, because, you know, they get those string of decoys, and they'll follow that string right up to your darn boat, and uh, then it's blast fest for you guys, you know. Yeah, and I'm sure we will pull the trigger as well, too. Uh, we'll see how many we hit, but we'll definitely pull the trigger. And it's going to be a good experience. And I know we're staying at Flag Island up there, so I'm looking forward to, to – I'm looking forward to doing this show because I've been up to the angle a few times um, – I've never done it where you drive through Canada to get up there. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward just to ex just seeing what that experience. I've, he I've heard you talk about that for about 10 years on, <laughs> on this show, but I've never done it going through Canada to get up to the angle. You know, we took the, we took the, the winter road, the ice road uh, up to the angle and drove up there, but we've never gone up through Canada. So I'm looking forward to that experience. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if you get through or not. <laughs> well, I should have been to Canada <laughs> twice already this year, so hopefully. <laughs> I know. I know. I should well, be you know, over on this side, they, they they watch it pretty close, you know, like they say, it keeps the riffraff out of the angle. But, uh, no, uh, 
you should have no problems here now, especially you don't have to be vaccinated and you don't have to have the arrive scan, which I know that you've done both before, but you know what? You don't have to have that stuff anymore. So it's making it easier for um, just about everybody to get up, whether you're fall fishing or whether you're thinking about going up there ice fishing this winter. You know, now it's just like the good old days where you just have to have, you know, your credentials like a passport and such, and uh, and you can slide on through. And uh, yeah, once you do it once or twice, it's it's really easy. It's no big deal. You know, when you're uh, when you're sliding up there, one of the things you might want to do is there's a little town of Sprague, Manitoba, um, on your way to the angle. You drive about 40 miles through Manitoba, and then you enter back into the Minnesota, the angle up there. And, but, you know, when you go through that little town of Sprague, they got a little grocery store on the right-hand side called Carl and Kay's Fine Foods. And uh, Murray Matchett owns that. And I'll tell you, you know, it, it, it's, it's just a little bit over the border. But, you know, you stop in that grocery store, and they got a few things that you can't get in the U.S. They got that world-famous Winnipeg rye bread that they bake in Winnipeg Bake. It's real good. They got Canadian jam. They got uh, coffee crisp candy bars, English toffee candy bars. They have, uh, oh, what else? Oh, they got different kind of chips. They got, like, ketchup potato chips, and they got, oh, like, a... Nice. I don't understand... You know, I don't understand the ketchup potato chips. We, we have seen Canadian uh, grocery stores quite a bit this year. Dan is uh, Dan is excited. He do already have, said... Do, he they want, have, do they have root beer? A&W root Well, you know, I, they, they, got, they got flavors up there. It's weird, because it's even, like, old Dutch and, and brands that we yeah. know. But right. Different flavors. Different flavors. And yeah, and they Old Dutch makes a party mix that uh, I used to be able to get here. And I haven't seen it in a store around here for years. Not since I lived in Fargo. Even there, I think they pulled them off the shelves. But I can find it in Canada. Everywhere. Every co-op gas station, uh, every place has got that, that Old Dutch party mix. Uh, so I always have to grab some of that. But Dan's excited about the candy bars up there. He already said we need to stop in Sprague and get a candy bar. So have you had the, the Wonder Bar? No, I haven't. Oh, that's the best one. I've got two in the freezer that I brought back from last time that I'm saving <laughs> for a special occasion. <laughs> Those are oh, they're so good. They're made by Cadbury, and you can only find them in yeah, Canada. Have you, have you tried that coffee crisp? Yeah, that yeah. one's a good too. I, I I don't know that it's like number three on my Canada candy bar rating. It's not bad. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, did you notice like Cadbury makes a lot of candy bars that are available in Canada, but have you noticed that a lot of them are like that coffee crisp or that arrow? They're, they're real like light wafery. And I mean, there's like a theme, like all the candy bars are kind of similar. It seemed like. You know, I I haven't noticed that. I really haven't really thought about it, but you know, we we sampled a lot of them this summer. I work a lot. I don't have a lot of time to think about that. Well, what was that one, Dan, that you got? That Oh, the caramel one? Gosh, yeah. what is that one called? His What, your your <laughs> my, grandpa told you to get her? No, my mom. So my grandpa, when he would go on fishing trips to Canada, he would buy this for my mom. Oh, what is it called? I don't know. I'm going to try to figure it out. Um, I should know this, but it's like a caramel, chocolate caramel. And that's how she explained it. She's like, it's a caramel. You should try to get one if you go up there. So I found it. Well, it's this like hard caramel <laughs> and so you can't just bite into it and eat it you got to sit there and it's like this big rectangle you know and so i was trying to just bite it and eat into it and it was the it would taste it good but it was so hard to eat gosh what was that it's called like you know, that, that was a, i think that was created by like a dentist in that area wasn't it? yeah probably. <laughs> probably my mom's probably screaming at it. she's gonna text me here in about two minutes yeah. when she watches us just screaming <laughs> at the tv happy like, with you this is what it's called yeah i can't remember yeah, it, 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 it is you know, it, it, for a lot of people, though, it's like, you know, they, we always talk about the adventure. Yeah, I want to shoot some ducks, and, and I want to get some walleyes and maybe other fish. But it's about the whole thing. It's about the anticipation. It's about going through customs and, and 
you know, seeing the people that it, it's U.S. and Canada customs when you go through. You know, mo- most of the people are super nice. It, it's all part of it. It's driving through Canada and those, you know, part of the, the road is a tar, part of it is dirt road. It's looking for deer. It's looking for the different wildlife when you're up there. And then you enter back into Minnesota. And it's just noticing how the signs are different. And, I mean, the, the whole thing, you know, it's just, it's part of the adventure. Stopping at Carl and Case, find foods and picking up the, the candy bars, the famous Winnipeg rye bread. That rye bread, by the way, it's not like a hard rye. It's like a cracked wheat. Hmm. Real good. Oh, you guys love it. You know, you can't get that where you're in Canada. That's only around the Winnipeg area. So I know that for a fact. So we're, we're excited about this trip. And um, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Now you got me thinking about Canadian yeah. road signs. And it's just turned into Canada candy bar family. Yeah. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought on, uh, on what I was going to say. But it is all about the experience uh, the whole time. And we're going to be filming it for Sporting Journal Radio. We're actually going to be filming a couple of things while we're up there. So uh, you'll be able to follow along. We'll we'll make Dan get a bunch of candy bars. We'll do a candy bar yes. taste test on the Sporting Journal Radio travel vlog that you can watch on the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channels. And we're also going to be filming this duck hunt and cast and blast at the Northwest Angle for Prairie Sportsmen. For what? So watch for that episode coming uh, next season, starting in January on Pioneer PBS and a PBS station near you. And Joe, if people want to plan a trip to the Angle or uh, Lake of the Woods or the Rainy River, what should they do? I, I will tell you what they should do, but first I'll tell you that that Lake Island bar is pretty darn nice too, and you might want them to do a couple of taste tests there and put that in camera because <laughs> that would be a little bit more adventurous. But nonetheless, if you want to find out more about uh, fishing or hunting Lake of the Woods, uh, everything everything's on our website, lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com.